Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for joining us on Heritage Events Live. We're delighted to welcome you to Policy Polls, Resistance and Hope in Afghanistan. Please welcome our host, Luke Coffey, Director of the Douglas and Sarah Allison Center for Foreign Policy. We hope you enjoy the program. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us here today to talk about this very important topic of Afghanistan and what is happening in Afghanistan, especially as it pertains to this emergence of a resistance movement against the, the Taliban. Uh, today, I'm very honored uh, to be joined by Mr. Ali Nazari. Mr. Nazari is the head of foreign relations for the National Resistance Front of Afghanistan. He's become the public face of the resistance movement that is based in Panjshir, Afghanistan. And he, in fact, himself was able to get out of Kabul uh, three days after the Taliban took the city. Um, the purpose of today's conversation is to arm you with as many facts uh, and with as much information as possible uh, in, in a shorter 30-minute uh, format for a public event. So again, uh, thank you for uh, tuning in to watch, and we will start the discussion right now. Thank you again, Mr. Nazari, for coming uh, here today to uh, speak with us. Um, you left Afghanistan not too long ago. You have been involved uh, at a very senior level in Afghan politics for more than a decade. Um, you are still in contact with those who are in Panjshir. And as I said, you've become the public face uh, for much of the international community for the resistance movement, for the NRF. Can you give our viewers a, a, a general overview or an assessment of what is currently happening in Panjshir Valley and in Afghanistan? Thank you very, very much, Luke, um, for having me here today. It's, um, it's an honor to be here at the Heritage Foundation. Um, I, I was here a few years ago, and it's, it's uh, great to be back. You're always welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Um, about giving an assessment on, um, on the situation in Afghanistan, unfortunately, it, is, it isn't as optimistic as uh, I we want it to be. Unfortunately, the uh, the Afghan uh, states or Afghan nation has been hijacked by a terrorist group, by a uh, drug cartel, by by a criminal syndicate today, uh, and they're being assisted by um, by many uh, foreign countries in the region, especially by, by one specific one. At the moment, the Taliban have taken most of the country. However, there's still hope, and there's hope for resistance. Um, the resistance after August 15 started in Panjshir and in a neighboring district um, known as Andarabit in Baglan province. And since then, there has been an armed struggle uh, against the Taliban. Um, in the past uh, few days, the Taliban have entered uh, Panjshir Valley, but their entrance doesn't mean defeat. It was a tactical retreat, and right now we control more than 65%, around 60 to 65% of the province, because uh, the more than 15 uh, sub-valleys 
in plain shear is controlled by the NRF. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about the uh, topography or the geography of the pan shear? You know, why has it played this role throughout history of being the starting point of resistance movements, whether it was against the Soviets in the 80s or the Taliban in the 1990s? So Pancher has always been a natural fortress. Um, and it doesn't, it didn't start 40, 50 years ago during the Cold War. For the past few hundred years, and you can even say millennia has served as a fortress because when Alexander the Great um, uh, invaded this region, he faced resistance in the same Hindu Kush Valley, especially Pancher Valley. Uh, Genghis Khan and his army faced resistance, and many people from the cities took refuge in Pancher, and they still have many people in Pancher have ancestry going back to Bukhara, Samarkand, Bala, these great cities that fell, and they had to take refuge in Pancher, and then they had the resistance. When the uh, British invaded Afghanistan, they faced fierce resistance in, the, in this part of the uh, country, and again, the Soviets, because it has a very unique topography, geography, where it, the main valley is like a tree trunk, and then you have numerous branches from the southernmost part of Pancher to the northernmost part, and those sub-valleys have sub-valleys of, uh, of themselves, so they branch out into other valleys. So controlling Pancher, entering Pancher, especially, especially the main valley, it does not translate into victory for, for the invaders. It doesn't translate into, def into defeat for the resistance for, uh, fighters, for the freedom fighters. Uh, so for the past few days, our fighters have retreated to the uh, sub-valleys. Uh, many families have retreated to the sub-valleys. And uh, the same situation happened during the uh, struggle against the Soviets. The Soviets would enter the main valley in Saipangshir, hold on to the main road for a few days or a few weeks, and then a counteroffensive. What, uh, what, what happened from, from the strategic positions. So the Taliban uh, claim that they've um, become victorious, they've uh, uh, suppressed the resistance. It, it's not true, and, and the NRF is still in control. Just yesterday, our, the head of our uh, military committee, um, uh, he, he uh, recorded a video and we, we put it up on uh, social media and other media outlets. So it is continuing, and the people have the resilience and the will to continue the resistance. Uh, however, after the Taliban entered Pangshir, our leader, Commander Ahmad Massoud, the son of the late Ahmad Shah Massoud, he uh, recorded a message to the nation. And it went viral. And just two hours after the message um, was, was uh, aired on TV, on radio, it was the transcript was, was published in, in different uh, websites and, and publications, people started their protests against the Taliban regime. Women and men in Kabul, Mazar, Herat, and Faizabad, and Badakhshan, and many other cities, they've been continue, continuing their protests for days, and they've expressed their support for resistance, for freedom, for justice. And we've had small pockets of uprisings, armed uprisings in other parts of Afghanistan. So the resistance is growing because it enjoys the legitimacy today. The Taliban have the geography. They control most of the provinces. But that doesn't mean anything. It's a short-term gain. What matters is what side has the legitimacy? What side has the hearts and minds of the people? 
and it's the resistance. Because with one call, we're able to mobilize the whole nation, or most of the nation, and our diaspora communities outside of Afghanistan. And right now, for the past week, we've seen num numerous uh, demonstrations here in the US, and in and, and the UK, and European countries, and the regional countries. So there is hope, even though right now, uh, we're, uh, the situation is bleak, uh, because you have most of the country being controlled um, by this group, and they are oppressing the people. But there's hope for a better future because of this resistance. And another point when it comes to Pangshir, right now, since the Taliban have entered the main valley, unfortunately, right now, they're uh, committing atrocities, war crimes. They're forcefully removing people, expelling people from the valley. They're committing ethnic cleansing. Yesterday, on my social media platform, on Twitter, I I put up a video where thousands of families are being removed, forcefully removed from their homes from the valley, and who knows where they will be located uh, after they're removed from uh, Pineshire. Second is mass killings. And um, we're, we're getting more evidence now because people are, people are leaving the uh, valley and they're uh, uh, handing over evidence of this that uh, people, young men have been rounded up from villages that are controlled by the Taliban put on trucks, uh, sent to undisclosed locations. Many people in the villages have been massacred, and I, have to, I received many of the photos and videos today. So there is ethnic cleansing and genocide unfolding in that part of Afghanistan, unfortunately, without much international attention. It's tragic, and there's really no excuse for this lack of international attention, because unlike the 1980s, unlike the 1990s, we have social media. People have access to the information if, if they want to see it. And I'm not sure why people choose not to see it. Perhaps in the United States or in some Western countries, it's, it's a shame the way we abandoned the people of Afghanistan, so we're just trying to ignore it. But it is um, puzzling, I have to admit, on, on why these atrocities can take place and, and there's still this silence. And watching some of the images of especially young women out protesting on the streets in, in Kabul and Jalalabad and Herat and, and other places, even with uh, Taliban thugs with guns pointed at them, uh, really shows how the society of Afghanistan you know, has changed over the years. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the makeup of the NRF? You know, what sorts of people have made their way to Panjshir to join the resistance? Um, what, uh, you know, do they have military training? Or are they more local? Uh, I think people are very interested in this side of things. Uh, to make something clear, the NRF, the National Resistance Front of Afghanistan, isn't an ethnic movement. It isn't a sectarian movement. It's not even a regional movement. It's made up of different ethnic groups, different um, political groups uh, from different ideologies. Uh, it's, it's a group made up of people who share mutual values, which is democracy, rights and freedom, social justice, and, and, and uh, uh, rational Islam, and so forth. This is what has united people under this umbrella, not ethnicity, race, gender, religion, and so forth. So we, it's, it's a very heterogeneous uh, movement. Um, but the uh, military uh, committee is made up of three components, the resistance fighters. One is the local resistance fighters that were uh, trained in the Pineshire Valley in the past two years. Um, the second component is the resistance fighters from the other provinces. And again, they're made up of different ethnic groups. 
uh, we had um, people from Western Afghanistan, from the central provinces, from Bamiyan, Daikundi, from the northern provinces, even some, uh, some from, from the south. And the third are the remnants of the former ANSF, the uh, special forces commandos that were highly trained, US trained. Um, they've joined the fight um, against the Taliban, and they're still there. And they didn't flee like uh, the president, or they didn't surrender like many of the commanders of the uh, ANA. Uh, many of the remnants of the national police and remnants of the national army is the third component. So it's made up of these three components, and there's thousands of fighters right now inside Pinecher in the neighboring districts um, that have the motivation and the morale to resist the Taliban and to liberate Afghanistan from this terrorist uh, organization and its terrorist allies like Al-Qaeda and other affi affiliated groups. Um, and and to, to establish uh, justice, equality, freedom, and rights for everyone and to preserve democracy because we believe that no other system could replace democracy in Afghanistan. We were past uh, the era of having an emirate, having a monarchy, or any other autocratic regime. The only system in Afghanistan that will ensure the rights and freedoms of every single citizen is democracy. And you, you just mentioned, um, for the, you said for the past two years, um, the, the uh, resistance in Panjshir has been preparing. Um, that timeline, um, many observers will note, sort of coincides when with uh, the uh, peace talks and the negotiations process between the U.S., the Taliban, and the Afghan government. Um, did, the, uh, did your leader, uh, Ahmad Shah Massoud, recognize some of the shortcomings early on with this peace process? Was he concerned that it wasn't going to deliver a just outcome to the fighting? Uh, could you talk a little bit about the, the, these preparations that you mentioned? Because I don't think many people realize that this took place. Many people think all of a sudden Kabul fell and then all these people ran to Panjshir to start a resistance movement. But in fact, the roots are, are grow a little deeper than just that. So from the onset, um, our leader, um, Commander Ahmad Massoud and the rest of, um, um, of, uh, of us, we believe the, that the approach that was, uh, that was adopted um, by Amb Ambassador Khalilzad was a flawed approach, that it would result into the catastrophe that unfolded in Afghanistan uh, since August 15th. And we uh, conveyed to Ambassador Khalilzad every time that we met him that the approach that you're pursuing is going to cause such a catastrophe, that it is not going to stabilize Afghanistan. It is not going to cause lasting peace in Afghanistan. It's going to embolden a terrorist group. It is going to weaken the current democracy, the current republic that is in control of Afghanistan. It's going to weaken the morale of the uh, national forces, the ANSF, and it will cause a disintegration of the state. However, he gave us uh, different assurances that it, that, uh, that will not happen. However, on August 15th, our predictions came true. And so beforehand, we believe that we should prepare ourselves. And when we approached our people, we went village to village, met the elders, we met the youth, we in met Panjshir. women, men in Pankshire and many other provinces, 
met scholars, we met uh, the local commanders, everyone, and officials inside the government. Everyone said, we see Afghanistan's future in a very, very in a pessimistic uh, way, and, and we believe we, we, we see Afghanistan's uh, future very bleak. So we have to prepare ourselves. So exactly two years ago on September 5th, uh, 2019, more than 30,000 people gathered at the mausoleum of the late commander Ahmad Shah Massoud. Which and has since been destroyed yes, by so the Taliban. The yeah. Taliban have desecrated his, um, his, his grave, unfortunately. And this, this is a great insult to the na Afghan nation disrespecting Afghanistan's national hero. And this has created reaction throughout Afghanistan. So uh, 30,000 people gathered there, and they declared Ahmad Masood as the successor of his father, and told him to prepare yourself. And people from throughout Afghanistan came, and the speakers were from different ethnic groups, representatives of different uh, political groups, political forces, and ethnic groups, and all of them said, it's time for you to step up, take the torch, and start mobilizing our people. So since uh, September 2019, we've started our efforts. We started our efforts because we knew that we would face such a catastrophe that we're facing today. Yeah. And how would you describe the uh, short-term goals of the NRF and perhaps the more longer-term goals? Right now, uh, the situation, at least from an outside perspective, seems desperate. However, um, there have been many examples of resistance movements throughout history that started out in a very desperate situation. I mean, almost by definition, a resistance movement has to be in a desperate situation to become a resistance movement. Uh, so even with things being bleak right now, but there being there, there's hope uh, for the future, what are the, the short-term and the longer-term goals for the NRF? The short-term goal is to sustain a resistance in Afghanistan and, and to expand resistance, whether it's through an armed uprising, armed resistance in different regions of the country, reviving the local resistance that, that existed in many parts of the country before August 15th, and even of uh, uh, encouraging people in the cities to rise up. Either peaceful means, how, how the women are, are demonstrating today, protesting today for their rights and freedom, and, and for them to start speaking out. Because if we do not speak out at this juncture, we will allow this terrorist organization to consolidate power, and it will be very difficult in the future. One, in the short term, when it comes to um, our politics outside of Afghanistan, to prevent the international community from giving recognition, legitimacy to this cr criminal syndicate. They'll have a negative impact, not only for the people of Afghanistan for the decades to come, but for the region and the rest of the world. Having terrorists enjoy legitimacy, having a seat in the UN, having embassies in the Western world, and at the same time, having strong ties with Al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups, emboldening them that they could use the same precedent, the same example as what happened in Afghanistan, to force their enemies, to force the Western countries, wh whoever they are fighting, to the negotiating table, and to 
force them to uh, force them to give concessions and, and to negotiate with them and legitimize them. So in the short term, that has to be prevented. And for the democratic government coming out of the National Resistance Front, which is a continuation of that republic that existed, to receive the legitimacy, to keep the legitimacy as the legitimate, uh, internationally recognized government of Afghanistan. Something that happened in the 1990s. We didn't control much territory in the 1990s as well. However, we were the internationally recognized governments. We were the representatives of Afghanistan because we enjoy the legitimacy. The people support us. We have the hearts and minds of the people. So this is a decision that the international community has to make. They're either going to recognize a, a, a terrorist organization, uh, a drug cartel as Afghanistan's government, or they are going to support the will of the people of Afghanistan, which is the continuation of a democratic government, inclusive government made up of different ethnic and sectarian groups representing everyone in Afghanistan. It is extraordinary to think that uh, we even have to have this discussion. The, the so-called caretaker government that the Taliban announced um, earlier this week contains 13 members uh, that are under United Nations sanctions, right? So how could the international community even contemplate giving legitimacy or recognizing uh, such a, such a so-called government when a majority are under international sanctions? I mean, even the new interior minister is wanted by the FBI for $5 million. Yes. And yet we, we still have to have this discussion here today about whether or not the U.S. or the international community is going to recognize the Taliban. For me, uh, the, the, the answer seems pretty straightforward. Um, speaking of the international community and the United States, what are practical things or what, what are things that the average American can do? Um, what are things that the Congress can do? What are things that the administration uh, can do? Uh, to help not only the people of Afghanistan, but also um, the uh, National Resistance Front. Uh, you, you already mentioned, I think, which is probably the most immediate and an important one, which is not to recognize the Taliban. Uh, but are there other humanitarian concerns? Do you, for example, need um, uh, other supplies, cold weather gear, equipment, uh, military hardware, communications hardware. I understand that the, um, the communications in the Panjshir Valley have been cut. So practical things, what, what can the United States do? So our ask from the international community, from all our allies, um, is to take Afghanistan to consideration because the conflict right now in Afghanistan is in a civil war. We don't consider our struggle as being part of a civil war and internal warfare between different political forces inside Afghanistan. Our struggle is against transnational terrorism. We're fighting transnational terrorism today in Afghanistan. During the last operation, which uh, the Taliban did enter uh, Pineshire, there were more than 500 Arab fighters assisting them. So we were fighting Al-Qaeda. We were fighting elements, individuals, terrorists that came from Iraq and Syria and elsewhere. And you have posted yes. videos on social media, correct? Yes. Showing Arab-speaking fighters heading to Panjshir, saying they're going to Panjshir. 
to fight. So this is a global struggle. And unfortunately, we're fighting the war on terror today, <laughs> continuing the war on terror, all alone, abandoned, without receiving any sort of assistance, even humanitarian assistance. And we see that if the last remaining Western ally, the last remaining forces that are against terrorism in Afghanistan, if they're not supported, then there won't be an ally in the future, if needed, to fight terrorism. The Taliban are never going to combat terrorism. The Taliban itself is a terrorist organization. They share an ideology with Al-Qaeda and ISIS. There is no difference between them. It's just the color of their flags are different. One day, a Taliban soldier hoists a white flag, another day, a black flag. But at the end of the day, their objectives are the same, their ideology is the same. The same, they, and they their source of legitimacy is the same. And right now, as you mentioned, in, in their so-called cabinet, uh, you have designated terrorists. And these designated terrorists have strong ties with both Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Uh, you mentioned the so-called interior minister. Uh, he has strong ties with ISIS at the moment and with Al-Qaeda. Their chief of staff is someone called Fasihuddin. He's from Badakhshan, from a, a valley called Warduj. Warduj Valley right now has had hundreds of foreign fighters, terrorist fighters from elsewhere for the past five years. It's very strategic, that valley, and Fasihuddin has been hosting them there. They're affiliated with Al-Qaeda. So it's a government, it's a so-called government regime that doesn't represent Afghanistan's people. It doesn't represent the vast majority of Afghanistan's people. And it represents terrorism, international terrorism, the interests of transnational terrorism. today, And the international community, especially the Western world, is ignoring this reality. And if it ignores this, unfortunately, we are at the eve of 9-11 today. Uh, the day after tomorrow is 9-11. Actually, tomorrow is 9-11. And unfortunately, today, Al-Qaeda and the international terrorism is much stronger than September 11, 2001. They're more emboldened. They have an example of bringing the United States to a negotiating table, receiving concessions from the United States, receiving recognition and legitimacy. And this has emboldened them. This has strengthened them. They have the stamina. They have the will, motivation to create a haven, a base from Afghanistan and to start launching attacks on US and Western assets in the region, and ultimately to repeat or even to, to plan attacks much worse than 9-11. Yeah. So this is very concerning for us. Not only should it be concerning for the people of Afghanistan, for the National Resistance Front, for all the freedom fighting, freedom fighters of Afghanistan, freedom loving people of Afghanistan, but it should be a concern for everyone in the Western world, everyone throughout the globe. No, absolutely. And, you know, it is a sad twist in geopolitical irony that on the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, the Taliban will actually control more of Afghanistan than it did on September 11, 2001. But there is still that glimmer of hope, uh, mainly led by the NRF, that it doesn't always have to be this way. And if history is anything to go by, um, then, you know, God willing, the NRF will have success over the medium and long term, and the people of Afghanistan will someday be able to uh, 
escape from the shackles of, of the Taliban. Uh, Mr. Nazari, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come here today and to speak with us at, here at the Heritage Foundation. I want to thank our viewers for taking the time uh, to watch today. Um, this will be posted online uh, to watch uh, in the future, so please share it uh, with your friends and on social media. Uh, you will also receive an email with a survey asking about your thoughts of today's event and how you would like to see future events uh, take place uh, uh, going ahead in the future. So again, uh, thank you, and, and uh, many Americans are watching this very closely. We're, we're praying for the people of Afghanistan, and we wish uh, you and your countrymen all the good luck and success. It's an honor being here today, and thank you once more. Thank you.